Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. The show is always hobbled in some doing, way. Uh, Mentally with Ari around. I was doing some... Uh, Physically with Adam around. Sure. You're in a bubble! So get out of the bubble, talk to real people. There's no less healthy show in the country! It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, 5 o'clock hours here. We'll get to the Big Five here in just a second. We're going to talk uh, Raiders and uh, that weird fight on Sunday with Jake Paul and Tyron Woodley, which I think was bet on, you know, pretty significantly. Adam Hill is here. He's the company. Ari's here. It's Cofield. I wanted to mention one thing about uh, following up on our Ion Sports betting. Uh, so I did have a chance uh, while I was uh, away uh, in New Jersey, of all places, to see what it was like to open a betting account in the Garden State. Sounds intriguing. I mean, there's really not much to it. It was really easy. Really? And I thought to myself, as I set it up inside of five minutes from 80 miles away from Atlantic City. Oh, you didn't have to go in? Do it all online. Wow. That's interesting. That's big. I mean, we've been saying it. Uh, Listen, the fact that New Jersey is densely populated and New York is too stupid to get their sports gambling online. New Jersey was always going to do well, you know, once they were able to, you know, push the guys with the crooked noses out of the way and finally get it legalized. It was always going to do well, but the ease of opening an account, it's ridiculous. Wait, how do you Uh, fund it? uh, You can do it electronically. Like a Venmo type thing, or you have to use a card? Credit card. That That's not good. Yeah, that's real bad. You're talking about for problem gamblers. Yeah. Yeah. And for, I mean, I I imagine there are some sort of safeguards, but also, you know, fraud. I, yeah. I don't like it. I, w- I would think we'd, we'd, we would have heard about it. The point is, uh, you can fund your account from a distance. The biggest thing is you don't have to go into a casino and do the, you know, the triplicate copy like we still have to do. Yeah. Because um, it's, it's a pain in the ass here. It really is. And we're holding ourselves back. And I understand the attitude here is, hey, we want people to come into the casino. Maybe if they sign up for an account, they're going to go play the tables. Or, I mean, I guess that seems to be kind of an antiquated approach. And meanwhile, the, many of the same companies freaking own brick-and-mortar casinos in Atlantic City. Yeah, the, But they the, don't have the expectation that people have to come in to sign up. And I, I, I also I did go to where William Hill, which is now going to be Caesars, because technically I signed up. I have William Hill here. So I was like, ah, you know what, I kind of, you know, I like the way that – that platform is so I signed up for Caesar slash William Hill in New Jersey, and like I said, I did it from like eighty miles away. Then I actually drove a little further north of there um, another day, you know, like about a hundred miles north. That's not accurate. Whatever, um, fifty and eighty miles, right? So uh, I went to Mammoth Park, an old racetrack, and they've got a William Hill book there, and I was able there actually to pull some money out if I wanted to. That's good. I mean, those are good. The only issue I have, and I think a lot of it is the antiquated, like, hey, get them into the building thing. But I think the funding it is the biggest question. I just don't think you should be able to fund those accounts with Look at you. cards. But, Look at you. Caring yeah. for problem gamblers. And I think the plan is eventually to probably have what we have here, which is right now you can go into many of our local bars, and there's kiosks there where you can feed more money into the account. So you sure. actually have to drive somewhere, bike or walk or whatever you want to do. Yeah. But, I mean, the ease of opening it was insane. Uh, good to hear. Maybe, you know, progress being made everywhere. I you know, I was in – we referenced Indianapolis earlier. I was there two years ago, went to the sports book there. Um, 
they I don't like they're. I don't know. I don't remember if they didn't have mobile yet, or if it was just a crazy line to sign up for. I don't remember. I I remember I just actually making the bets in cash there. Um, it was cool to see sportsbooks other places, uh, but yeah, they're growing and growing, and more and more mobile everywhere. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five, number five. You know, the football is back. Eastern Washington last year was uh, sort of a disaster on many fronts. Uh, didn't get to play all their games. Had a lot of COVID issues. Fans didn't even get to go to the games, right? There were two games where they had a couple thousand inside the Al. So there's optimism. You know, there's optimism. The team is, I think, bigger and faster than it's been in recent years, especially on defense. We've been telling you in, in the recent weeks doing you know, our UNLV camp reports that uh, there's a lot more young guys now in the uh, the ones and twos. They, I'm guessing they could have taken back a lot more super seniors. They they chose like seven or eight to bring back, and those guys are all going to be key guys. I think there's a couple that are on the three line right now, but most of them are going to play and they're going to be relied upon. But a lot of the team are, you know, freshmen who is still have freshman eligibility, but played some last year, some sophomores. Um, Certainly, they want some enthusiasm around the program. The only way that's going to happen is if they show some good signs early. Eastern Washington's a good FCS team, uh, but it, it is a chance to get into Allegiant. It's going to be a little less than the Raiders, like a lot less than the Raiders. And Marcus Arroyo, the head coach of UNLV, talked about uh, getting some fans out there and you know the beginning of building something here. The reason we all came here as coaches, we saw commitment that the city made. We saw commitment the school made. Um, together. I mean, this is it. I mean, if you, you wanted to put things together in infrastructure and infrastructure and try to build a, a college football program that's right across your street in a $2 billion stadium with a with a new facility and a brand new set of coaches and, and some new culture, I mean, come out and support that and grow that and let that, uh, let that be part of what we do and, and move in the narrative uh, in the right direction. I think you uh, still can get tickets as low as 33 bucks for the opener against Eastern Washington. I know there's a lot of excitement for the Iowa State game. Uh, they were at over 30,000 tickets sold for that one. They just opened up the 300 section late last week. So that's going to be a, you know, a really good crowd right now. I think uh, they've got at least 20,000 out for this game. And I'm hoping there's going to be a, a nice walk up. Now, when you get there, you're going to basically, you may find out that day who the starting quarterback is going to be. I think both guys play it. Justin Rogers or uh, Doug Brumfield. Uh, Arroyo today talked about where he is right now with the quarterbacks, and he doesn't sound uncomfortable if he has to play both guys. Both done a fantastic job in camp. If one guy gets a hot hand, that's ideal, you know? Um, there's no real rotation set like there was uh, at some point when you might do it and you, you plan on it. Um, we're going to see if one guy can go out there and go by the time we get to kick off, and, and we'll play it by ear. Lean in one way or the other? Nah, if I told you, I'd screw it up. <laughs> there you go. Your guy Sam following up with the leaning one way or the other. Good, good follow by the way, just some commentary on someone that most of the audience doesn't know. They haven't seen him. They read Sam. Why Why is Sam going with the Richard Simmons shorts lately? It was a topic of conversation. So you guys week. have talked, like, have you discussed it with him? Like, I don't understand. What's the, what's the end him. game on this one? So the, the working theory in the Raiders press box, not uh, among. The theory not in the Raiders press box about one of your writing cohorts. Well, and, and it actually started on a probably podcast. doesn't know who Richard Simmons is. No, I don't think so. He's very but they're young. very short shorts. I did watch uh, did watch uh, Paul Woodley with uh, Sam last night. A, oh, you did? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, let's see if you can send this. You know, Next time I see him, I'll mention it to him that sure. we talked about his shorts. Uh, High-quality sports radio. And we have not discussed this with Sam. So this is I'm putting this out on there, and if he hears this, he's hearing it for the first time. The mm-hmm. theory it's the way it works on the in show. the Raiders press box. And it's not my theory either. If yeah. somebody presented it to me, I thought it made sense. Uh, there was There was – 
a podcast last week that discussed uh, potential fights in the media room. We're going to do like a, a, a UFC card. Yeah, I saw that. You guys really love that stuff. And there was some chatter about Sam and you know who he would beat. His, and, his physicality. Yeah. And there you know, was, he's got a show that he works out by, by showing off his thighs. I believe that was uh, that was Paul Gutierrez from ESPN who came up with that theory. Like, oh, all of a sudden uh, there's talk of fights and Sam showing off the legs all the time now. Okay. Showing off the yeah. legs? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I will tell you, uh, from a physical appearance, I wasn't just looking at Sam. I was looking at both of the quarterbacks. Um, Brumfeld has gotten a lot bigger. He was a really thin guy when he came in, and he's, he's legit 6'5", pushing 6'6". Rodgers is a he's a bigger, thicker guy. He's also a little more outspoken. He's an older guy. He's a transfer in from TCU. Was not healthy last year, um, and he, he did talk about having some. You know, there, there's been a lot on his plate the last couple of years, um, and he's finally now he feels like he's finally focused on you know just football. It was kind of awkward at first, just because it was a lot of new guys. But um, you know, we got a grown relationship. I love all of them like they're my brothers. Uh, you know, anything that I know that they don't know, they tell me and vice versa. Um, got a lot of diversity in the in the room. Um, Tate specifically been a lot of different places and stuff like that. So he brings a lot of, um, you know, new information into the room. So um, it's been great. There you go. Tate Martell mentioned. Boy, people are going crazy, aren't they? Did you get fined for that? No. <laughs> no. I, I, I think from the get-go, Arroyo was trying to kind of, you know, just calm everyone's expectations. And we've told you on this show all along that Martel was working as the five or like the four on the depth chart. He wasn't healthy coming in. He's trying to get everything down. Um, he was not an automatic to walk in here. Uh, now, I will tell you, if uh, I, this is my belief, and I, you'll probably agree, if they lose to Eastern Washington and both guys don't look very good, then there's going to be an increased push for like, wait a second, Dave Martel was at Ohio State in Miami, and he's not playing over Rodgers and, and Brumfield. I would not overreact like that if I were fans. No. It's going to be a little while longer. Listen, I don't. I have no idea, man. Maybe Martell's in a package or two where he gets to run the ball, right? He's probably the best option of the three guys. And I'll say a fourth in Cameron Friel, who's a little behind. He's a true freshman. I, I'm, I think it's very interesting to see. Like, It's one of the reasons I'm excited to watch the game. Like, What happens? And, and not only the game, the season. I'll just tell you the other thing, and, this, and we, I hit on this. A little bit uh, when we're talking about we're talking about Penn State and Wisconsin with Koken. Do not underestimate what last year was like for college football teams and dealing with COVID. It oh, yeah. was a ridiculous set of circumstances, and for some programs it worked out. But the disjointed stuff, like are we playing, are we not playing? It didn't work out for Penn State. They had a terrible season by their standards. They went four and five, and UNLV did not have a good season. They went zero and six, and I thought this was really interesting when uh, Brumfield was talking about the difference between this year's team in terms of attitude and last year's team. I feel like our team bond is much closer. We got a lot more guys who, who are bought in this year. We got a lot more guys who actually want to win. You know, we had guys that were afraid of COVID or just they seen that as an opportunity to opt out and not compete. But everybody this year is just locked in, and ready to go. So, what do you think of that? Suggesting there was a hesitancy. You know, from some guys on the team, and I, I've heard that from several players about being bought in, that maybe everyone wasn't on the same page last year. Yeah, and I mean, it, it's also, you know, it was a new staff. There was a lot of, you know, transition things like like all those things are, you know, play into all of that. I, I think it all stacks up on each other, and uh, you understand kind of where they're coming from with with that thought process. And now it's a you know a lot more certainty now, which I think could help everybody be more prepared and more on the same page. 
Tickets are available for the game on Thursday. Season tickets are still available. Uh, go to UNLVtickets.com or call 702-739-FANS. Number four. And we should note that we will have a uh, pregame show for the home games. On Thursday, it'll start at 6 o'clock. Is We'll have uh, Clay Baker and our guy Q. Q Myers, both over on uh, Raider Nation Radio 920. Check that. Magnum. Check that. No, no Clay this time. Uh, Magnum and uh, Q will be hosting the pregame show, and then they hand it off to uh, Russ Langer and Caleb Herring and myself for the Learfield pregame before the 7 o'clock kickoff. Give me number four again. Number four. Boy, boy, I don't think I could be objective on this one because I don't like Mets fans. I think they're punks and pukes. But I also don't think this is the right approach, but I kind of like it. I love it. Right? I'm in. And, I, and I, like, I don't think all fans are a-holes. But I Mets fans are too many of them are losers, and unfortunately, the biggest losers of the Mets fans are leading the charge. And hey, do what you want. If you want to go to games and boo your team, that's fine. But I I kind of like what Javi Baez is leading the charge on here. And Lindor also. And Lindor, yeah, who they killed early. And so basically, these guys are like, hey, you know, we do well. We're going to give a thumbs down to the crowd. Yeah, yeah. You wanted to boo us when we were struggling. Now that we're winning a little bit, trying to come back here, you didn't have our back? Screw you! Thumbs down when we hit a home run. Boo Bias, you. Bias hit a home run. He's thumbs down to the crowd. Boo! You in the stands. Boo! It actually makes some sense that they said, hey, if you're going to boo us when we do something wrong, shouldn't we boo you when we do something right? Yep. Yeah, you should. Now, the only problem I have, because I love it. I think it's great. The only problem I have, and, and I also think, it could be like a bonding thing. It could bring them together. Yeah. It, could, it could rally them. But like, if you get too caught up in booing the fans, if you're thinking too much about getting revenge on your own fans, there is a little bit that's taken away from your focus on trying to win games. Maybe, but maybe it's a, it's a, you know, you know it's a, a motivated, not a motivating, a, a unifying factor. For it can team. be. Yeah. Sure. And what have we said? Let Let's tie the Mets to the Knicks. What have we said about the Knicks forever? I right. mean, fans that think they're the best fans in the world. Right, but players don't want to go there. Now, I think first and foremost, it's because James Dolan is a terrible owner and a mean guy. But, like, New York, there's, like, this delusion in New York. It ain't a great place to live for an athlete as compared to some other areas. Sure. Right? You can't live really anywhere near the stadiums in the type of house you want to live in. It's And I guess you can get a driver, right, to drive you to the games. But it is a giant pain in the ass from a quality of living standpoint. And then you're like, the fans are going to turn on me in 30 games? Why would I ever want to play there? And But, but like, New Yorkers don't think that way. It's like, this is the best place in the world to play. Like, it's not. it's not. There's other places that are very comparable, and they're fans. And it's not all Mets fans. There's a lot of good Mets fans. But what what exactly are you trying to accomplish? It, it's amazing, and it's, it's weird. That, the, the stuff gets out, and, like, Athletes aren't morons, and, a- and not every athlete is like, whoever pays the most money, that's where I'm going. No, they're actually human beings, and they examine the city they're going to, you know, how it's going to be for their family, how they're going to be treated, is it going to be fun. If it's all going to be a giant pain in the ass, and I'm like, you know, on the pin of a needle, game to game, and I'm going to get slaughtered, why would I want to go there? So, good job drawing... Future free agents, Mets fans. And it's attractive it's, place to play. It's also nothing new because this is something actually Ray Ordonia has talked about this in 2002. And he said, I don't want to play here anymore. The fans are too stupid, yep. which is awesome. 
One of the greatest story in <laughs> stories in sports every year when we talk about the anniversary of Bobby Boday, that's what it was from. Yeah. Bobby I mean and Bobby Bonilla kind of did what Baez did. He turned on the media and the fans and then they just would not relent. So congrats. Now now Bobby Bonilla gets a million dollars for 100 years. Yeah. And it, you had a guy that you, you you brought in a guy who was, you know, a 300 hitter with 20 homers and 80 RBI. He was fine. And you ran him out of town. You you freaking ruined his you tried to ruin his career. Uh, or or don't just made a good point saying you have to play perfect every single day. You can't make an error. You can't go over four. Are we like blanking machines? Yep. Which, yeah, yeah. it's true. Yep. Yeah, baseball is a sport built on failure, and fans fans look, would freak out on them. It's crazy, and it's amazing that this has been going on now for 20 years. Number three. Is there really a high price right now on Deshaun Watson still? Well, we did just get breaking news on Deshaun Watson uh, that just came out. Because we saw the reports over the weekend that the Dolphins were hot and heavy. This is from Charles Robinson yeah. of Yahoo, who, you know, the Dolphins have said, you know, bull crap. We're not even, you know, we're not talking trade. And Robinson, he got he got all mad yesterday. And he's like, I trust my sources. He said, uh, uh, my Watson reporting is from high-level sourcing in five teams. The Dolphins, the Texans, the Broncos, the Eagles, the Panthers, and inside Watson's camp. That the Dolphins are talking. Yeah, I, I think it's absolutely true. Why wouldn't they be? Listen, if your team is not named the Chiefs or the Packers, and even actually the Packers probably should. But if you're not the Chiefs and you find out that your team is not inquiring about Deshaun Watson, your your organization sucks. What are you doing? It's the most important position in sports, and he's the third best in the league at it. What are you doing? And so, so yeah, I would believe the Dolphins are. And by the way, the Dolphins really didn't deny it. Uh, you know, they had Brian Flores go out and say, "We're always looking to improve our team, and character is an issue with you know with all of that." But that's not a denial. And the asking price seems to be still be astronomical. Uh, the reporting from Robinson, I believe, said what three firsts and two seconds, hmm. uh, which I would also say maybe it's two firsts, two seconds, and Tua. Or two first, two seconds, and you know, Jalen Hurts, right? Um, but yeah, it, the price seems seems to still be crazy. Now, the breaking news on the Deshaun Watson situation—not that it's that surprising necessarily—but the plan for the Texans officially seems to be that he will be on the fifty-three man roster when it is announced tomorrow. Wow! And that they will just be make him inactive every single week, and it's a wasted roster spot for the Texans, and that's how they're going to manage this. Number two. Raiders roster. Moves coming up. We've seen a lot of moves around the league today. Boy, in your notes, heartbreaking. They're not going to carry a third quarterback? What do you think? Well, I think the plan is to carry a third quarterback. Will they expose Nathan Peterman after the preseason he just had? I actually think the fact that he didn't play great in preseason actually helps. Um, I don't think they want to get rid of Nathan Peterman, and I wouldn't be shocked if he's on the roster tomorrow. Um I I think that they may cut him tomorrow. Ooh. Hope he gets through waivers and then bring him back on Wednesday. When you know after he clears waivers, you can bring him back. I think they want to keep him around. He you know they trust him as a third quarterback. They don't want him to play, but he knows the offense. He can they can put him in there. He's been here for a long time. I think they want to keep him, but I think that they might expose him to waivers to bring him back on the practice squad. One of the reasons being. You might need an extra roster spot somewhere else. 
especially in the linebacker core, which is still a crazy mystery right now. Nicholas Morrow is out for we don't know. How long is he out for the year? I, I don't think so, but I think it's pretty long term. But the, the trick is with the new IR rules, you can bring guys back, as many guys as you want, but they have to be on the roster as of tomorrow. So if, if you do want to bring, you could either put Nick Moore on injury reserve tomorrow and he's out for the year, or you can keep him on the roster and and then put him on injured reserve the next day, and then he only has to miss a minimum of three games. He can come back whenever. Um, but you do have to keep him on the roster if you want to bring him back at some point. So that's the concern. I think they will do that, and I think in order to do that, they might release a guy like Peterman and hope they can re-sign him. Uh, most positions seem to be pretty set. I do think I think Dylan Stoner may have beat out John Brown at wide receiver, which would be fairly interesting, and I think part of that is that Dylan Stoner has been a you know pretty reliable special teams guy here in training camp. Uh, could also be DJ Turner, but DJ Turner's dropped a bunch of punts, and I think that probably uh, moves him out. Uh, but I do think maybe John Brown, even Willie Sneed could be an issue, but I, I think Willie Sneed has probably made the team based on uh, the rotation that we saw on Sunday. So I think Dylan Stoner beating out John Brown is probably, um, you know, might be one of the more surprising moves that happens on the roster. But most positions are fairly set. I just think the entire IR situation is what throws a wrench into some of the decisions that may be made. Number one. Boy, looking ahead of this first Monday Night Football game, very interesting. But you have no worries that the Raiders haven't played their key guys. They're confident, right? Yeah. So they believe they're going to be fine. The other side, the number's sitting at four and a half now for that Monday night opener against the Ravens. Ravens have had a disaster on many fronts of a preseason. One, the fact that Lamar Jackson got COVID for the second time and could be at risk during the season to be a COVID nightmare. That's a problem. Then J.K. Dobbins. I mean, what a disaster. You know, they slimmed down the uh, running back room, and Dobbins was drafted, you know, last year, you know, assuming, hey, they were going to get rid of some of these guys, Mark Ingram, you know, on his way out. And then Dobbins goes down, torn ACL. And Rashad Bateman, you know, supposed to be the, you know, new infusion to the receiving core. Hollywood Brown's okay, right? Sammy Watkins brought in as well, but he's been tinged up. And now Bateman, when's he available? Yeah, it's, it's there's a lot of questions. So on offense, like, I know you were, your whole thing over the summer is like, how are the Raiders going to stop that run game? I mean, how it's, I guess it could still be daunting. I mean, I personally like rooting for the Gus Bus, Gus Edwards, but is that going to instill fear? Oh, he's really good. He's good fine. As, as a two. Is he a starting running back? I think he'll be fine as a starter. I, I think. So when you look at four and a half system. now with the, the preseason at the Ravens of Hat, are you like, oh, yeah, lay it? I mean, I, I actually think it should be maybe higher. Really? Uh, just because, like, I do have those questions. Listen, it is going to. Look, the linebacker position is a weird one in the NFL. It's, you know, it used to be so important. Now it's it's been much less emphasized, and it's a position linebackers don't barely even play for the Raiders. Can you stop the run with a bunch of safeties on the field? That, that's the question, and I, I don't know that they can. I don't know the Raiders can. And you, you also look at, you look at the preseason and say, listen, none of the starters played. Obviously, they haven't played. We'll see what they do when the season starts. They couldn't tackle last year. The Raiders couldn't. They led the league in missed tackles. They haven't been on the field, so we don't know if it's gotten any better. Gus Gus Bradley seems to think it has. He said they've had a lot of time to stress fundamentals. Seems to think it has. And we didn't see the starters play on Sunday. But I'll say this. If you look at the scheme, and again, it's not the starters, so you don't know if they're going to execute it better. But if you look at the scheme that the Raiders were playing, which is the Gus Bradley scheme, they were a nightmare 
against Trey Lance yesterday. They didn't even grapple on some of the runs. They had no idea. And I don't know if that was personnel, which it definitely is a major part of it, but it's also partly scheme. And guys were just completely out of position. Now, again, multiple issues there. Wasn't the starters. They weren't game planning. All of those things are true. But you're going to have to hit the ground running trying to stop Lamar Jackson? It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battle Born Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battle Born Injury Lawyers, 570-9000. We know where Jacobs is. We know who our starting five linemen are. Who's the sixth man? Who's the seventh man? Who's the eighth man? We may not have that. We'll find out. The only way you can evaluate guys is in live situations. We needed this three preseason games to see where our second-year players are, where some of our new players are, and where our rookies are. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Score update, uh, Las Vegas Aviators top second scoreless game. As uh, you heard from uh, Doug Marsh, Doug Douglas, uh, OKC is the opponent. So uh, scoreless in that one in the second. Uh as you were suggesting before the break, when Gruden's talking about his roster and his depth chart, the the biggest question now is linebacker. Yeah. It's, and, it's completely uncertain because you don't know the long-term status of Morrow. But you know, on the flip side, you also countered with you don't know how much how often they're going to play a traditional linebacker set. Right. I mean, traditional, almost none. Uh, you know, people are talking about Tanner Muse potentially being the auto, uh, one of the linebacker spots in the Gus Bradley. Uh, defense and he that he's the starter at that position. Like, oh, he's the starter. And you're like, well, they play that formation like 15% of the time. So what does that what does that really mean if he's the starter at that position? Um, but yeah, that it's it's a linebacker is a weird spot in the NFL. First of all, it's it's almost impossible to play it well. Uh, if you look at you know what the position has become in terms of all the teams that run so much action uh, that's supposed to look like a run that becomes a pass, supposed to look like a pass that becomes a run. The read options, uh, they're in a really, really difficult spot. So it's a tough position to analyze, first of all. Uh, and it's a it's a tough position to find really, really good players. It's such a difficult position to play in the NFL uh, because you're, you know, you're asked to be big and take on offensive linemen. Uh, so you have to be strong enough. You have to be fast enough to chase down running backs and cover running backs and tight ends. Uh, you have to do it's 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 really really hard to play, uh, but in particular for the Raiders, they're in a spot where Nick Morrow appears to be their best linebacker, their number one player there, and he could be out a few weeks to the season, and we don't know yet. We might not know till tomorrow when where they put him on. I thought there was maybe some shenanigans being played with Denzel Perriman, who they traded for last week. They hadn't done a physical on. Were they just going to wait until after tomorrow so they didn't have to put him on the roster and they'd have an extra spot? Turns out no. They just passed his physical today. He's officially on the roster. Let's get more Raiders chatter coming up here in uh, less than three minutes. A uh, guy who does a uh, podcast, Raiders podcast, the Autumn Windbags. He's also uh, great on the fight game. Our buddy R.J. Clifford is up on Cofield and Company. Finley Toyota. They'll do anything to sell you a car. No Toyota problem is too tough, too large, or too small. Keep your Toyota running like a Toyota. I'm going to look at that tattoo and I'm going to laugh. And it's probably going to be a trilogy because he's going to want to get try to revenge back and then we're going to have a whole Rocky thing. All these MMA people trying to tell me what to do. Where the was the MMA people when they was booing me? But everybody want to tell me what to do and how to do it. And they all want to follow me now. Now everybody in the boxing gym and shadow boxing and want to get advice. Now, 
back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. Former uh, MMA star Tyron Woodley reacting after his loss <laughs> to Jake Paul. I want your take on the fight. Adam Hill is here. It's Cofield. RJ Clifford has plenty of opinions on the fight game. He's on the Combat Channel for Sirius XM. We'll get to the Autumn Windbags pod- uh, podcast about the Raiders going into the season in a couple minutes. What's up, RJ? Hey, Steve. Adam, what's going on? Will you tell us uh, what happened in that fight with Jake Paul and Woodley? Uh, not a whole lot, huh. to be honest. In a, in a short answer, um, you know, it, was, it was disappointing. So I watched it at home with, uh, with the wife and some friends, and uh, my wife and her friends thought the fight was fixed because it was just so bad. So obviously, you know, I, I don't think it was, but it's a bad sign when um, kind of green eyes watching a fight think it's so bad that it's fixed. So, uh, but, you know, if you've seen Tyron Woodley fight, throughout the course of his career, specifically in the last, you know, 24 to 36 months, he's been a low-volume guy. And I was, you know, the optimistic part of me thought that, uh, you know, him not having to cut weight, him doing a boxing training camp, which is easier than MMA training camp, um, there was really, really big stakes for him in this fight, a potential rematch, uh, movie and TV deal, sort of kind of hanging in the balance. If you get knocked out by a guy from the Disney Channel, you're probably not going to be able to play some, some bad dude in a movie. Um, so I thought he'd, he'd be a different Tyron Woodley, be a little motivated. And uh, Tyron Woodley being the same old Tyron Woodley. I mean, I would make the argument, like, yeah, it sucked. But it was also, uh, you know, it's a guy making his boxing debut against a YouTube star who's trained for a couple of years. Uh, if you take that into consideration, it was actually decent. Um, and as far as Woodley goes, I would say he was what he was in MMA. At the end of his MMA career, it was... I know that I can end this fight with one right hand. I just need to find a time to throw it. And too often in MMA, we saw he never threw it. Uh, and last night, yeah. we saw that he did connect with it once. He landed the biggest shot of the fight. He knocked Paul down, except the ropes caught him and saved him. And then he never threw that again. He landed two punches in round one, two punches in round two, and four punches in round six, I believe, off the top of my head. I mean, what do you expect? It's a boxing match. You win by punching. And I'm not, and I'm not quick to give Woodley a pass on this uh, as fast as you, Adam. Like, yeah, he hasn't been training exclusively boxing, but he's been training striking for the better part of 15 years. Like, I, 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 an MMA fighter should have better hands after 15 years of MMA training than a novice with three years of boxing training. I know, obviously, the MMA guy has to worry about jiu-jitsu and wrestling and the striking a little different. I get all that, but... You, you study boxing as an MMA fighter, specifically Tyron Woodley. He's not like some, the striking would be described as like Muay Thai or karate. Like he was basically a boxer with power. So I'm not, I'm not going to give him a pass with the whole, well, you know, Jake Paul's been studying boxing exclusively while Tyron Woodley was doing MMA. Like, I, no, you, you should, your hands should be better than that at that high level of mixed martial arts training that long. Well, okay, they, sh- they should be, and they were. I mean, Tyron Woodley was better than, than Jake Paul yesterday. Uh, it just to me, it's like he was waiting too long to throw that one punch, of course. And I, I will say 90%, 90% is probably strong. The vast majority of Tyron Woodley's hands training is getting guys to worry about a takedown and then changing levels and then throwing an overhand right, which does not work in yeah. boxing because it doesn't exist. There were just so many moments where you could tell like Jake Paul was little – little apprehensive or worried, especially when he connected in the fourth. I mean, that should have been a knockdown. He fell yeah. on the ropes. Like, yeah. not that the scorecards would have mattered, but um, you know, this, Woodley had his opportunities. He was in there with 
with a novice. A guy with only three years of training. And he was still... I, I gave him a, not a pass, but I could understand why you'd be apprehensive if you're Tyron Woodley and you're fighting Kamaru Usman <laughs> or, you know, uh, Colby Covington. Like, okay, I get it. I, I like, Lord knows how apprehensive I would be by fighting that. Like, I, I, I understand that. Fighting Jake Paul in a fight where, you know, a decision is that going to go your way in Ohio? It, it's kind of a circus act. You're not really there to be this, like, savvy split boxer to show your skills, you're there in this circus match. It's a little different of an environment. Like, you could, you could lose that. If it, if it, the split decision did go his way, right. wouldn't it really that, would have been that great for Tyron Woodley? Would have been, like, that big of a win? And the, and the Going, biggest, like, looking that bad? The biggest knock I have on, on Tyron Woodley from, yes, from yesterday's fight, uh, to be fully honest about it, is after he landed that punch on Jake Paul, Jake Paul was terrified and and scared and nervous and running and exhausted and breathing like crazy. And Tyron Woodley still just stalked him around and waited to land that big one right hand. Like, dude, your jab was working. Throw it. Why are you waiting to, to land one shot against a guy that's terrified to be in there with you? RJ, I'm going to break in because we're, we're getting a little short on time. And the fight, but, it, it, I mean, it's, it's an intriguing topic. So what, what's next for Jake Paul? Whatever he wants, basically, right? I mean, he can do whatever he wants. He's now three and zero as a boxer. Uh, you know, he's beaten. Sorry, four and zero as a boxer. Like he's beaten two world champions in MMA. Um, I mean, I think the dream scenario for our all parties involved is Logan Paul and Jake Paul versus Nick and Nate Diaz. I mean, that was kind of like I think an end result that would just sell absolute bonkers, and everyone would go nuts for it. Um, but he can do whatever. He can fight other amateur or uh, other MMA crossover guys. He can. He's not going to do. He's not going to like dive to the deep end of a division and start like working his way up for a title. It's going to be marquee matches like this, but he can do whatever he wants. He's got that kind of draw and power. All right, let's talk Raiders. Are you completely confident right. going into? The, do I have to? Uh, are you completely confident going into the regular season with so many guys held off the field? Uh, do you like this approach? Boy, John Gruden sure is a Barney buzzkill in the preseason, isn't he? Like, wow, we got a lot of we got a lot of Nathan Peterman. You're a big Nathan Peterman fan. You love this preseason. I mean, I get it, right? Like, I understand. I mean, even in the limited um, amount of time that like Nicholas Morrow played, like, he still found a way to get hurt, and um, like, I I understand it. But I would really love to see that brand new off not, not brand new. I think that offensive line has got more familiar faces than people give it credit for, but. You want it to be cohesive. You want it to, to them to work as a unit, especially in the zone blocking scheme that we think they're going to be trying to use more this season. Like you need them to mesh and to jive a little bit. You do that with reps with each other, live reps, and the brand new defense. You know, Beth Bradley's coming in, the brand new defensive coordinator. Again, a lot of new faces are very, very young bodies out back there. Like, would would two or three series would have killed them with with this kind of situation? I mean, if Tom Brady can play in preseason games, you know, why can't? Uh, you know, I can't our young defense. So I, I would like to see more. But again, if, if any one of our starters would have went down with like an ACL injury or something, we'd all be screaming, "What the hell was he doing on the field anyway?" <laughs> RJ Clifford's with us, uh, Sirius XM fight expert, does the autumn win bags podcast. What's the biggest worry you guys have been harping on talking about on the podcast? It's just all defense. I mean, we, it was literally the worst defense in Raiders history last season, giving up more points than any other Raiders defense. But like you've got to turn that around drastically. I mean, uh, Derek Carr's seven years in in uh, Oakland and Las Vegas, the best defense he ever had was 2016, and they were the 20th best defense in football. 
and Derek Carr went 12 and three and then broke his leg. And then obviously we thought, you know, doesn't have him in the playoffs. If, if that offense just has not even a good defense, just a not atrocious end of the world bad defense, like this team could do some things. Like again, as bad as defense was last season, they were still eight and eight. Like it's, it's, it's Gus Bradley out there putting everything on the line. Hopefully they can, hopefully it was just all gun for last season in a really bad system, holding back these players. Otherwise, I, I don't know how there, otherwise it's going to be another teardown for that defense. You confident the offensive line is going to be up to snuff after making wholesale changes? See, I don't, I don't buy that they made as drastic as changes as people say. Like, obviously, Colton Miller's still there. Richie Incognito's still there. Denzel Good's still there. He's basically a starter last season because everyone was so hurt. So you're just replacing Alex Leatherwood, a rookie, with Trent Brown, who has only played in half the games of the two seasons he was there. That's not a giant loss. The only thing I'm worried about is losing Rodney Hudson and replacing with Andre James. Now, if, if there's one member of the coaching staff in Las Vegas that we should give the benefit of the doubt to, uh, it's Tom Cable, the offensive line coach, and how he's been able to move guys around and handle injuries. So I, I, I'm not as worried about the offensive line as I think most people are. By the way, are you planning to come out to games? Did you did you think about buying season tickets? I... I I think about it. I mean, I'm out there almost every weekend, it seems, and I'm trying to, like, time my work with uh, my work in MMA and UFC to get out there. I will be going to the, the Madison Square Garden card in November. Uh, the Raiders are in town to play the Giants that very next day. So I'll be going to that game. And get this, if, if you can get into the stadium and for the Giants for less than 100 bucks. Like, you can't, like, there's a hundred, it costs multiple hundreds of dollars just to get in the door in Las Vegas. It's yep. cheaper in New York. So uh, I'll definitely get out for a couple games, but definitely that uh, that Giants game will be there in New York. By the way, what cards at MSG? Are you sure that card is happening? The UFC announced it. Um, that, I mean, you're never 100% sure, right, with COVID and how things are going. I'm obviously referring to uh, you know, the new mandate to New York State about competing, and Michael Chandler's on that card, and he's not getting vaccinated. <laughs> I don't know. Ooh. It seems like there's with enough money on the line and with, uh, you know, Athletic commissions can be can be swayed with really really big cards and big money. I, I don't I don't I, I'm pretty confident it's happening, especially with the U. I don't think the UFC would announce that there was that much influx. Two things on this: it's an unbelievable card that's in New York. That yeah. card is insanely yeah. stacked. It's going to be awesome. Uh, I did I did talk to Dana White a little bit Saturday night. Uh, he said he's ha- received assurances from New York that they can do it. And I'll tell you one thing that convinces me that they're sure that they can do it. First of all, it's right after they go to Abu Dhabi. Like they're, they're mm-hmm. like flying there and there is a Canelo fight in Vegas that night. So there's no way they can have Vegas as a backup plan, which would usually be the backup plan. Yeah. So they, they oh, wow. are convinced that this card is going to go on in New York, but we will see. Can I just say, um, did you get a new haircut, Adam? I barely recognized you at the UFC Apex on Saturday. I'm very good looking like, dude, that, RJ. Yeah, I yeah. was gonna say like you got even better, better looking. Yeah. Like, is that a new haircut? Has just been that long since I saw you? I barely recognized you. It had literally been like a like a couple hours. Very okay. fresh haircut. I'm not crazy. Yeah, yeah. I was I was gonna go say hi to you at the media, at media room. Like, wait a minute, is that? I don't, new guy? No, I'll take it later. I mean, size-wise, he de- you know he's he's definitely changed as well. You would never recognize him now. Yeah, he's gone. He's gone. He's very thin, yeah. uh, under two hundred pounds. Uh, all right, RJ, uh, what do you got coming up the rest of the week on the uh, Combat Channel? 
Uh, we got uh, MMA today. It'll be tomorrow. I host that with uh, your guys, Ryan McKinnell. Yes. My co-host tomorrow. That's from uh, 9 to 11 a.m. on Sirius XM, Channel 156. We'll talk all the Logan Paul stuff, the UFC on Saturday. And then uh, the Ottawa Wednesday, my Raiders podcast, we record every Wednesday, and we do a post-game show uh, every single game. And uh, you can check that out you know, wherever podcasts are available, YouTube, all that. All right, RJ. Thank you. Thanks, guys. There he is, R.J. Clifford, former MMA fighter, has been doing uh, MMA and boxing coverage, actually has uh, been working on the TV side as well, and does uh, Sirius XM, again, he mentioned it, Channel 156. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co. Cofield & Company presents... Bag up, bag up. Grab bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Back today, brought to you by our friends at uh, Twin Peaks. Yeah, Twin Peaks football is back, and so is your favorite uh, man cave, Twin Peaks and Henderson. Cofield and Company's home for Monday Night Football throughout the NFL season. Got Ravens, got the Raiders. We'll start live at two o'clock. Got happy hour specials with uh, cheap offers on wine, shots, and that freezing cold twenty-nine degree craft brew at Twin Peaks. Also, select apps: two dollars, four dollars, and six bucks. So every Monday you can join us. Twin Peaks, Twin Peaks, Twin Peaks is the Cofield & Company Monday night football home, and it all starts up on September 13th. That's the Twin Peaks right off the 215, a little bit south on Eastern. Did I get that right? Do I know where I'm going? Am I driving yes. to the right Twin Peaks? Yes. Okay, you, you looked at me. I'm like, I think I know, I think I know where I'm going. I always, out there, even though that's the neighborhood I grew up in, Yeah. like, I still get confused south and north there because it, in your mind, going south on eastern feels like it should be north because it's away from. I don't know why. I have no it idea does? why. It does. It always does to me. So and I'm really good at directions usually. Like you're going up a hill. Does that feel north? It just feels like it should be north. I don't know because I think like once you get on the outskirts of like the Beltway, if you're going away from town, you feel like you should be going north. I don't know why that is in my head. It just is. Hey, you're weird. I hope you show up. Only... I hope you show up on Mondays every once in a while. I don't know well, if you're going to find it, but I go there like twice a week, so I feel like I should probably be able to make it. Uh, it, it just, it just, it's a weird one, and that's the only on Eastern. It's the only one. It's very weird. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Damn, Rashad Paramount got cut. Yeah, that guy's going to land somewhere, and he's going to take off. He's so ridiculously talented, but he can't yeah. stay healthy for one thing. Technically, he was the Lions two, if not the one. Yeah, because who knows? Tyrell Williams is on. The Lions, former Raider, but he's not healthy again. Well, you know who their one is? TJ Hawkinson. Uh, but it's actually Amon Ross St. Brown. Yeah, I think that's a good sleeper. Yeah. That's their one. They love him. I was, I almost, it would, uh, I'll, uh, should I say it? I'm going to say it, but I'm going to explain it. Um, he comes from good stock. Now, that sounds like a Jimmy the Greek comment sure. or like Nolan Richardson, but if you read the story about his dad, like his dad would literally was like one of these guys who's who's I have to find a wife who's athletic and gigantic, awesome. and I'm gonna I'm gonna produce like super athletes. It's great. There's that there actually is there was a feature about how he found his wife, you know, or you know, suggesting like he just chose her in right? a catalog. Well, <laughs> but that that's what he was interested in. It's awesome. His kids turned out to be freaking uber athletes. It got worked. a couple of wide receivers in the NFL. It worked. So yeah, Brashad Perriman. See ya.
Stick your hand in there, Dave. I don't get this whole ESPN got tricked into putting a bad high school football team. Oh, they did. Uh, but, but like, how did they really get tricked? The team was 0-6 a year ago. Uh, it was the team that got bombed by IMG. Apparently, they they called they called ESPN and and IMG. I probably was in on it, and they were like, but we they, we added a ton of Division One players. Well, they lied about that. Um, but you do you have seen their schedule last year and this year? They're they're like they're playing all superpowers. I think yeah. they're playing like Duncanville, Texas next. Yeah, which is like a traditional power in Texas. So, and what what's the school? Bishop Sycamore in Ohio. Yes, it's a weird deal. It's incredibly weird. And ESPN was basically saying on the air, they tricked us.